，欢迎大家。这个星期的 Stack， 安苏文和何安然来摆一摆四川，他们会摆一下地理、历史，还有他们的个人经验。二天，他们还会摆一下塔公和康定，四川话、四川的风景，还有工业，来听一下嘛。Most、uh, Americans probably think it's Sichuan for Sichuan sauce. Sichuan,、oh. do you get that a lot? Because of、uh, I, you know, I have no idea. Is that is that Wade Giles or no? That would that would be that would be like、um, so. Wade Giles is a so it, it would even precede that literation,、yeah. right? And so set. Right. Sichuan, I think, would it, it definitely doesn't follow Wei Giles. It would be something a lot、uh, earlier than that. Some、um, older romanization, yeah. Yeah.、Um, my Wei Wei Giles, I, I used to not like actively not use it because,、um, but my、uh, classical Chinese class, we would use the Matthews Dictionary, which was Wei Giles, and so I, I was a little bit more. Familiar with it, but I know I know enough still to know that that set Sichuan is not is not the way that、uh, that they would do it. You can read the old book、um, "Travels in Tartary and Tibet" by uh, uh, Hook. He was a he was a French priest, I believe, who who traveled all anyway traveled all over Tartary, Tibet, and China in like the nineteenth century when nobody nobody knew anything about Tibet、right. in the West anyway. And you can see you can see how sort of romanizations are are very non-uniform. And、right. if you tried to go into his book and figure out what the hell he's talking when he talks about some you know place right. name, right? You have no sort of conception of what he's talking about and have to go look it up, you know,、yeah. try to try to find it out. Yeah. Somehow. Well, I mean, obviously, I mean, you know,、um, Sichuanese. I and I I cannot like certain. I can barely distinguish it. I can't. Understand it, but I mean it's technically a dialect of Mandarin, but it's very different from what has become the the classical standardized Beijing dialect, right? So,、um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, like you know, well, it, you, it, it, yeah. Sorry, no, I, I just, I mean, you. What would you consider your?、Uh, what do you speak? You you learned where? Oh、uh, well, I definitely learned Are, the、uh, the the class very standard Beijing. Dialect, right?、Uh, or you know, sort of、right. like the standard Mandarin that is that is based on it. Now, I heard though, and maybe I don't know if you've heard it, but that like there was some debate when they were kind of like trying to decide which、uh, regional dialect、yeah. to use as the basis,、um, and it was sort of between.、Yeah. And actually, it's not it's not Beijing. It's like、um, Chengde or something. You know, somewhere some city around like Hebei that was chosen as like the pure dialect, and the other option was was Sichuan. I, I I don't I don't know if that's just like something some crank in a bar told me or what. I have no idea if that's apocryphal or not, but I've heard it as well, which is that that、uh, it was a very close call, and it could have been that Sichuan would would have Sichuanese would have been what you know every ch- school child was. Taught, but for the you know, but can you speak? Can you speak? The vagaries、it? of history.、Uh, well, you. I was gonna. I was gonna try it out on you just because I thought you know it would be interesting for you to hear something that you know. You can maybe you can do some some Beijing accent or or、mm-hmm. standard Mandarin 
if if I was if I was to if I was to say um, Shenma, mm. Shenma, mm. Uh, that's like what, right? That's right. what in in China. Well, it has a few other meanings, but it's, it's basically what. And, and if it, if I were going to say, uh, you know, what is this? Like, this is what, right? They I, they have a tatama, tatama. This is this kind of means like, uh, what are you talking about? What's this? What 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 are you talking about? Right. Right. So there's there's some that's that's a very common one. Uh, what's another one that you you would know the translation of? Oh. Shu? How how would you say shu in China in uh, Putonghua? Xiezi. Yeah, xiezi. In uh, Sichuanese, it's haizi, which to you, I I guess, means something totally different. Haizi would be like child, like I reckon. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. Kids, same same tone as well, and that means shoes. It also, <laughs> it, yeah, and and child would be, or at least sort of like a a sweet way of saying child. Would be right. yar. Okay. Yeah. So yar. So okay. quite a bit different. Yeah. Yeah. And is this something that you know? No, but I, 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 I mean that one. I, I don't know. I mean, like all of these. It's, it's possible in context. You know, obviously, like you know, it's, it's like going to uh, the if we were to go to the UK or, or deepest Appalachia, right? And right. go, I mean, like it would be sort of like hard to, dis- I mean, you, you would, you would not be able to replicate it or like Ebonics, right? I mean, like you wouldn't be able to replicate it, but you would get, be able to pick, pick up on it and understand what it is as a native English speaker or any dialect in England, but a, somebody who's for whom English is a second language, it's a lot harder to do it. If they hear somebody like, you know, a recording of somebody in Kentucky down in the holler, talking you know they, they would not be able to really distinguish it and it's it's kind of the same way i mean you know my mandarin is pretty good but if somebody starts speaking in in a dialect too much you know i just am completely lost you know now if immersed in the environment like you are in in sichuan or, or hubei or something then maybe you start to be able to understand a little bit more like i i can understand some hubenese but I certainly wouldn't even begin to know how to speak any of it myself. So it's it's pretty it's pretty interesting. You know, yeah, I was I was um I, I was reading a blog from um, Victor Mayer was uh, right. His was, wife was, was Victor Mayer. Well, his Penn? wife was from yeah, so Victor Mayer is a, a professor at UPenn, um, kind of scholar of Asian languages, uh, including sort of Indian and stuff. But his uh, Indian languages, there's no Indian language. The, um, but his, uh, his wife was from Shandong, uh, which is in the Eastern yeah. part of China, but his, but during world war two, she was in evacuee to Sichuan. And so she spoke Sichuanese, uh, in, in addition to mm-hmm. kind of the Shandong, Shandongese Mandarin, um, and, and standard Mandarin. So anyways, go, go ahead. That's just some background. Well, he has a, he has a. Well, he he shares a quite well known blog that I believe I I think that UPenn actually um, produces yeah yeah uh, Mark, for their Mark linguistics Liberman department does, yeah 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 and uh, uh, he was he was he was telling people or he he wrote a he wrote an article about going to Sichuan and um, trying to understand uh, Sichuanese and he said it's now when 
when he when I say that he doesn't understand it, you know, if you if you talk if you're on the street and you speak um, fantastic, you know, excellent Mandarin like he does, you, if you hear Sichuanese on the street, you can probably figure out what's going on. But his point was that if you sat down and listened to a professor, you know, if you had perfect Mandarin, but then sat down and listened to a professor actually speak in Sichuanese, and there are some professors who have just completely, ref- you know, the older professors in like the, you know, Sichuan University who grew up uh, before the um, conversion and, and didn't grow up learning learning Mandarin in, in, right. uh, in elementary and so on. And they just, you know, flatly refused to, to speak Mandarin or to teach in Mandarin. And um, my wife was telling me actually that uh, there was a professor who, who obviously people come to Sichuan University from all over China. It's, it's, it's a very good school. So mm-hmm. uh, they come to the school and then there's this professor who um, the, the students would come sit in his class, not understand a word, and then complain on his you know, teacher evaluation. This guy is spending 45 minutes uh, a class just speaking incomprehensible Sichuanese. And apparently his point was, I've been doing this for 50 years. I'm not right. going to, I've been, I've been teaching in Sichuanese for 50 years. Anyway, and, and Victor Mayer's point was, it's incomprehensible at that level, which is to say that if they're, if they're not trying to help you, mm. you can't understand right. uh, yeah. at all. So if, I would you know, agree. If, yeah. if, if they're simplifying, you can understand. If not, it's too far. Yeah, uh, I, I think difficult. it's, yeah, definitely like the grades of Mandarin, um, it's at that extent. So, so I have some kind of like in-law family uh, that is Sichuanese, you know, so kind of in-laws of in-laws and spent a couple of days uh, with them. And it, it certainly was like that, like uh, uh, Hubeinese, uh, certainly like, you know, Hubeinese around Beijing or, or Hanai, you know, you, you pick up a lot, a lot more. Um, but once it gets to Sichuanese, now, you know, it also would have been a place that developed a lot of, so it's it's the end of the Yangtze River, right? Uh, and yeah, was right. a pretty prosperous area and I think had its own very robust culture. Like Bajin, who's one of the famous 20th century novelists, came from there. So, you know, I, I, I think that that probably there's a lot more regional pride in the dialect rather than um, in some places where it's considered uh, if you speak in dialect, then it's kind of a peasant thing. So is it is it surviving for kids? Because in a lot of parts of China, like somebody who grew up in the 1980s was still being taught in elementary and high school by people who barely spoke standard Mandarin. And so they themselves probably actually had worse Mandarin than their parents who grew up in the Cultural Revolution, just because uh, at that time, there was a lot more enforcement of the language. But now it seems like, at least in the educational apparatus, you know, they've, they've strained out a lot of that. And kids are, and all obviously, a lot of it is off. It's all off TV. I mean, even in, in Guangdong, Cantonese is off TV as of 15 years ago, I think. And then the radio has gotten much, much smaller. Um, and, and I think they were more tolerant in places where it was a legitimate different language, like in Shanghai or, or Cantonese. Um, but in places where it's technically a quote unquote dialect of Mandarin, I think they've been much more aggressive. So I don't know. I mean, is there any Sichuanese on the radio there? 
Um, yeah. So, for instance, what you're saying is that if you were to go to a an elementary school, what you would see on the wall would be a big placard that says, if you go down a stairwell or anywhere walking along the hallway, you'll see a placard that says, you must speak standard Mandarin right. at school. Uh, it's everywhere, it's, it, you know. Um, and yeah, as you say, it's it's completely off the television, uh, I I think. And maybe inter- if you want I mean, to hear it on the radio. Obviously, if they somebody, they'll, they'll maybe be speaking in dialect right, right. if they can't. But yeah, the, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can find one. You can find a, a television show here and there, and you can obviously you can find something on on uh, you know the video um, websites. People making yeah. their country, you know, Domain, it's it, right, yeah. there, there's this phenomenon phenomenon of putting some country, you know, people on right. uh, videos for uh, not to mock them. I mean, you know, they they make their own videos and do funny things and things like that. But uh, yeah, the the point there is um, if you go on something like Shimalaya. You know the the um, radio aggregator that's a bit very mm-hmm. famous in in China uh, aggregates a lot of RSS feeds and radios. There, I can I've only been able to find one. I've, I've found one show. I got my brother in law to to find for me. So I mean that that kind of gives you an idea of the landscape. Most everything is in um, standard Mandarin. So yeah, it's dying out. My children's my children are are raised by their mother and by their grandmother so you know they're it's they're immersed 16 hours a day in Sichuanese and they have a Sichuanese that is not um Chengdu Sichuanese it's actually uh this is this is something we haven't said but but Sichuanese has its own regionalisms around Chengdu and Chongqing and uh some of those regionalisms are not uh obviously they are mutually intelligible but they're not well mutually intelligible intelligible And so that's much more a situation of, you know, you would kind of, you know, like if you're from Georgia, you would make fun of hill people or something right, like they're right. strange yeah. little verbal tics and whatever. So the situation is is the same. And, they, and, and it even affects the tones. So, for instance, um, you know, they have different tones in the southeast of Sichuan than they do in the north. And there are even some minorities in the north of Sichuan that don't have tonal languages at all. So, I mean, this is not Sichuanese, but within Sichuan, there exist different tones right. some some Sichuanese has more tones some t- Sichuanese has less uh fewer tones and some of the minority languages are not even not even tonal so you've got the whole pastiche of of right. language all in one place that's you know the size of a large US state basically right yeah yeah i mean it's uh, um, but it is the yeah. sorry the point was your question was what's going on with it right, right. Uh, it's dying um yeah they I think that if you said that to, actually, I'm quite certain if you said that to a high school kid, they have this idea and, you know, in our hearts, we keep our culture in our hearts, right, but right, I don't think right. that they really know. I don't think they really know, you know, that they speak less uh, Sichuanese than grandma spoke and their yeah. mom speaks less than grandma spoke and so on and yeah. so on. So, yeah, uh, well, it's, 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 it's very dying. difficult. I mean, I think, um, you know, it, American English certainly has now e- even the most maximally distinct like co- coastal Maine has a very uh, unusual accent, for instance, uh, and you kind of take that and compare it with the maximally distinct. Yeah. Um, Southern Appalachian English, you know, um, th- they would be m- much closer to each other than even neighboring dialects in in a place like Sichuan, I think, you know, um, 
to, to each other. But but even in the U.S., they're disappearing. I think that it, kids kids in the South, for instance, uh, they they retain an accent mostly. Uh, but you know, in, in cities like Atlanta, almost not at all, right? Um, and so mm-hmm. it because of television or whatever. Uh, definitely like the, the vocabulary differences and everything are, are kind of disappearing. And yeah, in China, it's in China where it's a very political issue and kind of considered super important, basically to, it's, it's a national goal to eradicate these local languages. Um, they wouldn't use that word. Right. But I mean, that's, that's what they're, they're doing. Um, they, they would use the terminology creating uh, a harmonious culture or something like that, which requires, you know, right. Yeah. Um, well, and they, they don't call it. They, everybody's speaking the same language. Even even it's 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 infected how we talk about it in English. People talk about like dialects of uh, Chinese, right? Um, and a, I mean, in some cases, it's applied in this super absurd way. You know, it, Cantonese is not a dialect of can, Cantonese and Mandarin are not dialects of each other. They're that would be like calling German and English dialects of some other language. I mean, it's not a way to categorize things that make sense. But I'd say like even even Sichuanese and, and Standard Mandarin, what's called Standard Mandarin, sh- shouldn't really be treated that way. But anyways, it's not for me, obviously, or you to to comment on how the uh, government runs things there. Um, I mean, Taiwan does the same. Right. It's done the same thing. I mean, they, Taiwan... <laughs> um, has in the last couple of decades done more to promote uh, the sort of Hokkien uh, Minahua, uh, it's the local Taiwanese language. Um, but it's, uh, you know, they, they, they have their own dialect, I'd say, uh, dialectic. So Another thing we were going to talk I mean, about, I think, is, well, the place, yeah. Yeah. Ge- let me let me hit the geography real quick. I'm, sure. I'm not going to get into anything too too much in depth, but I think it's uh, Sichuan is probably only known for the food and you know in the West, so that's why I think it. Or maybe pandas, right? So um, anyway, uh, Sichuan is in Western China, very uh, right next to Tibet. As a matter of fact, part of Western Sichuan is Eastern Tibet. It's right. called the Cam. The Cam people come from there. And uh, it's surrounded by mountains, so it has always enjoyed uh, relative peace uh, for China because it's it's very uh, well defended. And when I say relative peace, I mean it's been as bloody as as just about anything, but compared to the rest of China, maybe less so. So they've been able to um, uh, acquire wealth, and they also are known. Sichuanese people are known for um, having a very relaxed, laid back lifestyle. They've been pretty well well protected, been been able to build their wealth, and uh, some of that some of that has to do with with uh, subsidies that they got as far back as the Qing Dynasty. But um, in any case, it's a very relaxed, laid back area, relatively wealthy, especially in the city center. And as I said, it's very very relaxed. There's a tea culture, uh, tea house culture, as there is everywhere in China. But you know, old people, there, there's no sort of like rat race in Chengdu. And so it has um, it has this reputation for for being a, a place. You know, if it, 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 people say in America, if you want to if you want to um, like prove your metal and make it in the world, you go to New York, right? And if mm-hmm. you're not that kind of person, if you're the opposite, you go to L.A. Well, Chengdu would be that sort of vibe to say like mm-hmm. Beijing or Shanghai. Um, and so, anyway, the, ge- the, ge- the geography is such that it's uh, surrounded by mountains. 
um, to bet on one side. And it is fed, as you said, by uh, tributaries of the Yangtze River, uh, and which one, one of which is uh, very important, the Minjiang River. Um, and that is uh, a tributary that, w- that has, has been uh, a famous waterworks called Dujangyan uh, uh, was built there, yeah, like 250 BC, I think. Right. Uh, and yeah, it's been Chinese, continuously Chinese operating. Are, did not like originate with the, um, or or even the attempts to conquer the Yangtze do not start with the Three Gorges Dam, right? I mean, this is something right. that they've been right. working on for, like you say, like two thousand years. Yeah, right. Um, and uh, there, uh, it, it's kind of a storied, you know, the working working on on uh, damming and waterworks and that kind of thing. It's a storied history of. of mm-hmm. Uh, thousands, thousands of years. So um, there's that. Obviously, chunk, uh, p- they're known for pandas, but the reason that they're known for pandas is because it has what's called the uh, bamboo sea. So uh, the lowlands are covered in in bamboo, which is you know perfect habitat for your pandas. And uh, then in the center, right in the middle of the plain, Sichuan is actually a plain. So, so it's like a bowl, basically. It's a plain with uh, surrounded by by mountains. And in the Sichuan plain, right in the middle of it, you have Chengdu. In the north is where you have. I don't. I'm sure everyone will remember this. 2008, the earthquake, right. Wintran earthquake. So mountainous north. That was probably the maybe the other reason that people might know Sichuan besides right. you know food and pandas is the the big earthquake yeah I mean I think uh, like you said it's uh, a relatively secure place and so I know in World War two a lot of uh, a lot of, like we mentioned Victor My- professor Myers um, wife but yeah a lot of uh, people from wealthier families and a lot of institutions from uh, places like Beijing and Shanghai, fled to to Chengdu. Um, the KMT government moved to Chongqing, which is a, a kind of nearby nearby city, relatively. Used um, to be Sichuan, actually. What's that? Used to be part of Sichuan. It, it was right? considered yeah, government. Yeah, kind of in right. and out, right? Um, but the, uh, so it's, uh, so it's actually, it's, yeah, Chongqing is interesting because you can see a lot of those old KMT buildings um, and things. But I, I had a professor in college who, who uh, had as a child been sent to um to Chengdu and so he lived there through the war um and the only the only thing he said about it was that it was like full of rats that were as big as raccoons basically um but i think they've, <laughs> they've probably cleaned it cleaned it up uh quite a bit since then the um but it's it, it's it's an interesting play i i the first time i went there was kind of late i think it was 2012 and uh, was was pretty impressed. You know, it, it certainly is uh, a laid, like you said, um, it does does have a much more laid back feeling. And I was I was there just on a stopover because I was going to Tiotago, um, uh, which is up in the uh, the, the Tibetan area, and uh, a really beautiful kind of Yellowstone Park type place uh, that certainly is worth going to. But um, yeah, spent spent a day or two in Chengdu, um, seeing the sites. And I've, I've been there a few times since then. And it's, uh, you know, every time, yeah, the, the weather has been been pretty pleasant. But what I, I have picked up on and know is a lot of um, 
foreign companies, Fortune 500 types, have actually moved their Chinese headquarters to to Chengdu, uh, and it's uh, you know partly is just a much more livable place than than in uh, uh, Beijing for sure. Just the air and the weather and everything like that. But it's also, I think, the kind of the head now of a lot of that so-called one belt, one road um, project. And so that's, you know, the one belt, one road is uh, kind of, a lot of it is just vaporware and, you know, bridges to nowhere and everything. But what it, it certainly is true is that a lot of manufacturing, because uh, in the older areas like Zhejiang outside of Shanghai and, and Shenzhen and everything have gotten a lot more expensive and labor in Chongqing and Chengdu is is less, and so moving a lot of factories and things there. Um, but there is there is now pretty sophisticated rail transport out to uh, out to Europe from there to like a toy store for whatever the uh, the rail port is. So it def- definitely grown a lot. I think Chongqing I've probably been to a lot more just for for work related reasons. Uh, it that is a much less pleasant feeling city than than Chengdu. I mean, it's very mountainous, kind of grimy, you know, interesting in its own way. I think I, the first time I was there, I got like really bad food poisoning. And so it's, and like the only time that I've gotten food poisoning <laughs> in China. So that definitely colors it. But I mean, just don't, don't eat the hot pot off the street is what I would recommend. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it, well, I guess, you know, Chongqing has always been reflected by the places that I was before. So the first time it was when I was coming back from Zhejiang. I go, so coming back from this pristine, beautiful, natural park type place to this disgusting air. I mean, the air quality in Chongqing is probably, I mean, this was again, 2012, it's gotten a little bit better, but it was like the worst, almost as bad as Beijing and like the mid 2000s. So it was just, you know, that, w- that was a come down. The second time I was actually coming from Urumqi in Xinjiang province. And so I flew in and then then it was like, oh, this is great. Like there's a Starbucks, <laughs> you know, there's at least like one Starbucks in the city I can get a coffee and, and everything. And so it, it actually, I mean, it felt like much more developed. And then the third time I was, I flew from Taipei and, and took a flight over from there. And that time I was like, okay, uh, I think the, the air was a little bit better. And, you know, Taipei used to have just, I mean, it used to be a really, long before my time or your time, it was a pretty uh, industrialized and gross city right in the middle of mountains. And so air quality was very, very bad. And now is a super attractive place. Um, And so when I saw Chongqing after that, it was like, you know, there's actually quite a bit of potential here. Um, And, you know, there's the the Boise Lai and stuff, we don't need to get into it. But a a lot of energy has been spent by, was spent by him to clean up the city. This Bosilai was um, the guy who basically was Xi Jinping's opponent to uh, to take over China um, after after Hu Jintao and lost out and has been arrested and kind of cleansed, for, purged, if you'd say. But um, he, after he got so he was running Chongqing as the party secretary, do, do and had a very good reputation. And then when he got canned, the the thing is in China, if you do something like that, if you take somebody out, 
you can't let his replacement do worse than they did. And so a lot of money has gone into Chongqing and a lot of investment to make sure that uh, basically Bo Xilai never seemed, looks like he did that good of a job. And so this has been kind of like 10 years of that, and it's gotten to be a, a pretty pretty interesting and attractive place, but much, much less livable than Chengdu. So you don't have the same sort of foreign firms and stuff moving there. Yeah, culturally, well, it's and the reason we're having this this uh, discussion is because, like I said, um, Chongqing was uh, Chongqing was was at one point at least part of the Sichuan administrative area, and um, culturally they're very similar, but they have they have uh, uh, competitiveness between them. So, for instance, you know, hot pot has to be originally from. You know, mm-hmm. Chengdu or something like that. No, no, it's originally from Chongqing. Oh, the the women in in Chengdu are more beautiful than the women in Chong. No, the women in Chong, Chongqing are the most beautiful women in the world. This kind of relationship. Yeah. Uh, anyway, people, <laughs> I, I, you, you can't go too deep into the Boshilai um, <laughs> situation, but people should definitely look 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 up what happened there. It'll it'll be a shocking view of politics. Yeah. So so back to Sichuan. What else do we want to talk about? There's there's uh, the um, there are some some places that that one ought to go. You brought up, for instance, uh, Jojaigo, which uh, is, as you said, it's in it's in the north, um, and it is relatively close to relatively close to where the uh, earthquake happened, Wintran. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are I, I there's some people I want to talk about. Actually, um, I went up there um, in 2000. 18 I think just after my my daughter was born and there is a people there that uh, really fascinates me they I, they have been unchanged as far as I know uh at least since um the Shang dynasty in the sense that um even the Shang and this is this is what 1600 BC right uh the Shang that, that you know if you if you find that the these people their name has apparently been found in oracle bone inscriptions and even then, their lifestyle was being talked about by the Shang in the same way that, you know, if you go there now, you see, obviously, it's cars and, and, and uh, highways going past. But, mm. but um, they've re- been relatively untouched. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure how this happened, but it's because, uh, at least some of it is because they got kind of caught between the Chinese and Tibetans. They're mm. neither... Chinese nor Tibetan. There's the northern, uh, they're called the Qiang people, the northern Qiang and the southern Qiang. The southern Qiang have a, t- a tonal language and the northern Qiang have no tones. Uh, it's a Sino-Tibetan language and it seems to be more Tibetanized than uh, Sinified. But uh, they're uh, fascinating. It's, it's fascinating to look at them because like I said, it's, it's been unchanged for maybe um, 4,000 years. In that they're shepherds, and the Shang said they were shepherds as well. And the name Chang uh, means people to the uh, shepherd people from the west, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, there are these people caught caught between the the two worlds, and uh, they build these towers, these magnificent. Um, well, I I shouldn't say magnificent. They're they're maybe three story tall towers, guard towers. So it and it's very it's it's a very strange sort of vernacular architecture that you find in the north of Sichuan, uh, has no sort of um, no parallel anywhere anywhere else, uh, either in eastern Tibet or Sichuan. Uh, they're these guard towers, and they just 
they just build the guard towers now because that's what they've done for 4,000 years. So you can still mm. find, and uh, I believe that there, there's, there's still one tower there that survived the earthquake and um, they claim has been around for, uh, since before Christ. So uh, you, can, you can go see that. They, they are shepherds and they, um, they, all of their mythology is sheep-oriented sheep mythology, of course. And uh, they wear these colorful clothes and they have um, sheep, sheep-based religious yeah. ceremonies. And, uh, and the food, my God. Uh, I have to tell people, if you ever get a chance, don't eat lowland pork. I, I'm, I'm always harping about this, but go to the mountains. Come to China, go to the mountains, get the natural... Um, mountain port where they let the they let the uh, pigs just wander around and eat whatever they want to in the mountains. Much better, so, super high quality meat. So that's what these people do. They smoke meat down in the bottom of their houses. They have two or three story houses. Bottom story, as you may guess, is sheep and pigs and chickens. Right, live in the live in the bottom of the house. Uh, the people live upstairs. And if you you go to a hotel, it's very possible. That you're going to be sitting around, uh, what's it called? You know, like like a uh, brazier of uh, the fire. You know, they they just make the fire right next to you, mm -hmm. right in the middle of the room, and um, they're smoking. Uh, quite possibly, when the when the restaurant, you know, if a restaurant's not full or something, the, it's quite possible that the lower story of the restaurant will just be completely filled with smoke. I went into mm -hmm. this hotel, and and. The bottom, as a matter of fact, I have photos and videos, so hopefully I can share those. But there's the bottom floor, the whole bottom floor of this rather large ho uh, hotel restaurant was um, just meat hanging from the ceiling and some eye in the middle. There's a there's a fire pit in the middle uh, and meat hanging down, pork hanging down, drying. And then if you went upstairs, you could. That's where the restaurant was, and the smoke was. Filtering up through the the floor, so you could have a nice. I guess you could have a nice meal there in the restaurant and be completely immersed in in drying pig smoke. So, which which probably smells pretty good. It, yeah, it smells pretty good, but it's very weird to have you know just be surrounded by smoke coming up through the through the floor. But yeah, the Chang people, amazing. Uh, cold. It's very near Jojago, as a matter of fact. Right. Um, so there's that. They, you you have some uh, other experience besides Jojago that you wanted to. I've been to, uh, yeah. the The only other place that I've been to in in Sichuan is funny. Like um, the, these different places. What I would say, like pseudo pseudo Tibet, right? So not not in Tibet proper, um, but right surrounding it. So I've been to that part of Yunnan that's like that. Um, and then Qinghai I've been to, um, and, uh, to, to Guizhou, but in Sichuan, I think the only other place that I've been to is Emeishan, uh, which is another one of these. It, it's very different from Jiujiaigou in that. And actually I, I can't even tell you how it's different other than that it is, but it, I think it's well. It's, it's southern, more, south of Chengdu, right? Yeah, it's it's not that far away. I think you can take the high. Now you can travel around by high speed rail. It's kind of crazy. Jiujiaigou um, is very inaccessible right. because the um, the the airport there it's very high up, and then the airport is uh, it was built by the KMT because there was a gold mine up there. 
And so it's, it's pretty old. And I think it, you, what I heard is it's like the most, the most expensive flights in China are from, from Beijing and Shanghai to Jiuzhaigou. And you have to be like a pretty accomplished pilot to, to fly there because you're, you're almost not even landing the plane. It's, you're just leveling off and, um, and everything. So it, it, you can't do the high speed rail thing there. So far as I know the, um, but Ome Shan is pretty accessible. Um, and I think it's, it's like a Buddhist complex, right? There's like lots of, um, uh, Buddhist yeah. temples in the area. Um, yeah. And the, the yeah. golden Buddha, Buddha sits up on top. Yeah. And I was there in, in some summer, uh, sometime in the last five years. And, um, the, uh, my experience was just, because it was, it was super hot in the normal. So like in Chengdu, say it was like 90 degrees Fahrenheit or something. Um, Going to the mountains, it gets a little bit more pleasant. And then finally stayed the night at the top of the mountain um, in a hotel. And there it was like freezing. Um, and that was, that was, you know, a re- really pleasant place, but, you know, seeing the sunrise and everything, but I don't know, you, you certainly know a lot more about that area than I do. Oh, um, maybe not that much about that area, but I think that you probably know, and most people have probably seen a picture of the uh, Le Shen, um, the giant Buddha. Right, right. Yeah. Do you know that one? Well, it's carved into the side of a mountain. It's a giant Buddha, giant, well, you know, the name says it. It's a giant Buddha carved into the side of the mountain right on the riverfront. And actually what, what you do is you start at the top of the cliff and you the first thing you see is not his feet, but rather his head. So you start at the head and go down. Uh, you walk down the the mountain front down to his feet, and I I I have no idea how tall it is. I think it I think it's one of the biggest Buddhas in the world, but uh, you when know three it, or four when stories. Was it, you walk when down. was it built? God, no, I, I don't 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 ask me that. I have no right. idea. But I mean, not like I, recently, I, right? It's not like the Hong Kong one that's thirty. Oh years no, old. no 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 no. This is yeah. hundreds of years old. Yeah. Okay. Uh. Yeah, yeah. So the, there's that, and then Omeishan, which is, uh, as you pointed out, that's a place, another holy, holy site with a. Th- now that one, the the Buddha there is is, um, I think, restructured. At least the base is restructured. Right. Uh, and it is. It's also quite old, but but uh, everything around there is has been renovated. Yeah. There's there's that, and then uh, so that's that's south of Chengdu. So like I said, Chengdu is kind of in the middle of Sichuan, uh, famous for the hot pot and the pandas. Right. And um, I, I just wanted to like make. Yeah, I just wanted to make an aside there, though, because you said the, the temples and stuff are renovated. And I think like to us <clears throat> as Westerners, like we think of like Shots Cathedral or something, uh, you know, it's a thousand years old. And a big part of why it's important is that it is like the same structure as before. Um, whereas in East Asia, uh, and in Japan for sure, you know, these places would like burn down all the time and they would get rebuilt. You know, it's, it's just considered a lot less important, I think, to have that continuity with, oh, this is the exact same thing that it was a thousand years ago and has barely been touched. And yeah, we do that. We do that kind of ship of Theseus thing, but they don't, it's not possible for them because of wooden structures. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. That, that's that's the big reason, right? They they just they can't survive the earthquakes. They can't survive the fires and things like that. But you know, I mean, in the West, it's kind of you know when Notre Dame Cathedral burned, and I think we still don't know why or how that happened, right? But the um, 
there were all these controversies about the plan. Many of the like modernization plans were just noxious and terrible. But you know, the fact is, is it, the the appearance that we're tied to with Notre Dame, Notre Dame, is not the same as when it was first built, right? Um, there there were changes right. to it, so there there is a little bit of it. We just don't don't acknowledge or don't realize it as much. Well, I think that people, when they walk on the Great Wall, they probably have no idea how much of that is recon- reconstructed versus original, as well. Yeah, I mean, because this like is for like instance, you go see the Great Farce, yeah, yeah, right. Um, for just for people who don't really know, much of much of what you see in in pictures is reconstructed Great Wall. Because what happened was, um, you know, f- tides of time, the the farmers, you know, they've got to build their they've got to build their house. They just take a, take a chunk of the great wall and make a house out of it. And when you've got to, right. you know, but the, the, the sections that you see are either, are either ones that survived or ones that got reconstructed or both. Yeah. So, so, uh, that's sort of the Southern part of Sichuan. And then, uh, Sichuan, by the way, is also the place where the, um, Chinese space agency, um, fires off their rock. They, they put their satellites into orbit from Southern oh, Sichuan right? as well. Because the uh, the the Jiuquan uh, in Gansu is that where the, the manned flights go from Gansu, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think that this is a sat- just satellites, but anyway, okay. that gives you some idea of sort of what the the diversity of stuff that's going on in su- in southern Sichuan, yeah. and there are obviously there are a lot of uh, Minzu that we could talk about, but uh, well, let's talk about crypto mining. You know, I mean, like, isn't that the big Oh yeah, yeah, coming industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that I have said this before, but but at least during uh, the rainy season, Chinese crypto or Sichuanese crypto accounts for some ridiculous amount of the world's hash rate, something like I don't know seventy percent or something like that. So yeah, crypto mining is huge, and that that all has to do with uh, you know as we were talking about earlier, four thousand or five thousand years of of um, hydropower in Sichuan and that's what's doing it now. So, you know, rainy season, all the stuff comes from hydroelectric and you get companies that are given subsidies by the government to use up all this extra power that they have, especially from, from hydroelectric. Uh, and it was, we, we talked about this, I think like in the first episode or second episode, but, uh, it wasn't allowed for many years, but just recently, China made a switch to blockchain. The, the, the thing is you can't um, really own crypto as a private citizen or you can own it, but you can't buy it, which is you, you definitely cannot change like Chinese renminbi into, yeah. Yeah, into crypto. That's uh, verboten. Absolutely can't do that. You can own it, however. So for instance, if you mine some Bitcoin, you can keep the Bitcoin and it's protected by law as your property. So there's just some weird, weird regulations there. But the point is that 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 is legal. Setting up a market is not legal. Uh, however, they're very, they're very blockchain. Um, they're crazy for blockchain in China now. Right. Um, they have their own B- BSN is the is the Chinese sort of like blockchain consortium. And for people who are interested in that, there's uh, I think that they've got like Matic Network there now, and uh, Polkadot is part of that. So. Yeah, but anyway, they've uh, you know uh, even Xi Jinping will talk about blockchain as part of their their technological um, advance now, and so that's that's all opened up, and there's there's quite a lot of um, there's quite a lot of uh, business in that space that gets subsidies, especially during the 
especially during the um, rainy season, to come over there and soak up all the cheap energy, cheap electricity. So they they're like set up. Yeah. Um, they have like ASIC. So they do the ASIC because GPUs aren't really good for mining anymore, right? So they they get specially designed, or they or they design themselves these um, what is it applied system and chip or whatever. Um, ASIC yeah, something devices like ASIC, and then they yeah. just build like a huge um, room of them and are becoming wealthy on the back of Chinese tax or the Chinese treasury right because the the energy is subsidized right yeah pretty much I mean even for me even as a residential customer I pay right. I mean and so some of this is going to be from you know buying cheap gas from Russia or something like that right, but right, right. I pay uh, absolutely nothing for electricity. I mean, it would make you sick as an American right, to know right. how little I pay for electricity. I might, I might spend a couple hundred dollars a year, right? Something like that. So yeah, uh, and and I, so, I run it constantly. Yeah. So Sichuan, uh, uh, central heating. No, it's the you know Kongtiao, the right. Um, what, what would you call it? A, a heater on the wall, basically yeah. in each room, and then you know like a floor heater or something like that. Yeah, because what because in in China, if you are south of the basically south of the Yangtze River, you don't get central heating, and if you're north, you do. Right. Uh, and so I guess. Oh yes, this is this is amazing. Yeah. People people would lo- be really fascinated, but I, I mean, I think so anyway. If you are uh, you know a northerner, this is completely different. Your even your bed may have central heating running right, you right. know up through the bed. It's, it's really amazing these these ancient sort of methods that they've come up with to run heat uh, in the northern part of China. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's it is very much a divide between the north and south how they do the heating. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the, in the very cold north, they have these these rooms that run you know um, heating all through the the walls and the bed and things like that and the floor. Yeah. Um, but no, 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 no. That's that's a northern that's a northern China thing. In southern China, you don't run any heat at all, right? You're not supposed to. No, you, but it gets really it gets uh, cold. I mean, um, no, I mean that's that's what that's what uh, your your mother-in-law will tell you. Don't run. It's you. You don't oh, need right, to. You yeah. don't need to turn it on. Just put a coat on. Put another coat on. Right. They they still have that. <laughs> you know, they still have that uh, scarcity mindset from right yeah. maybe uh, from the revolution or something like that. Um, yeah, there's, a, there's a, another place I wanted to talk about, though. The last place I want to talk about, maybe, is uh, Tibet. Right. Um, not Tibet proper, but rather the Kham, the, the, the Kampa. These are Eastern Tibetans, Eastern Tibetan people. And they have, yet again, a Sino-Tibetan language. It is Tibetan, but different than Tibet proper. And uh, I, the reason I bring it up is because my favorite place in the world, so I've got to talk about it. There's a, you will know this. Uh, there's a fam- there's a famous song called uh, what is it? Uh, Kongding, I love you. I don't I don't remember what the English. Do you know the the? I don't know. You the know song. the song? No. Yeah. All right. Anyway, there's a city. There's a city called uh, Kongding, which is to the west, uh, to the west of Chengdu, maybe four or five hours by car. Uh, and this is sort of like at the foothills of, of the Tibetan uplift. So the, the uh, well, I mean, it's already quite high, and it's amazing because the river comes right through the city. But it's 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 moving faster than any river in any city you've probably ever or anybody's probably ever been to. Mm. 
um, because the city the city on both sides is is built on a sheer cliff face very high up in the mountains and the river runs through it but it's coming right off the mountains so the river is constantly a huge torrent going right through the center of the center of the city and it's just the feeling the atmosphere is completely different to anything i think uh in the world because of this sort of energy it's constant energy and you can feel that energy coming through the center of the city um and as you know as you'll know from any any chinese city you still have the the old women um, on the squares dancing in the mm-hmm. evening, but uh, in but there all the squares have to sort of like narrowly line the line this this river. So it's amazingly sort of energetic feeling. And you can go from there. You can go even higher into the Tibetan uplift. And the place I wanted to talk about is uh, it's called Tagong, my favorite place in the world. I mean, for for geographic beauty. For right. geographic beauty, uh, it's my favorite place in the world. It's a uh, it's a plain uh, grassland. Uh, maybe uh, I looked this up earlier. I think it's like eleven. The 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 plain itself is about eleven thousand feet above sea level, and then the mountains above that go up to maybe fourteen thousand or more. Oh wow! Feet. Yeah, and um, it's amazing because right in the uh, right in the middle of of this grassland, um, there's a mountain lifting up out of the out of the grass grassland in the distance so you get you get to the to the to taikong which is a small village and um there's the taikong grassland out there in front of you and my wife and i did it uh walked walked it together walking through just fields of cows and uh we we were walking for four hours across this grassland and it seemed as though you never got any closer to the mountain so um I don't really know how to describe it. I don't want to get too woo-woo, but it's a very sp- spiritual sort of feeling. There's this D.H. Um, Lawrence. He wrote about um, Mount Etna, and he, he oh, said right. that the, there's this sort of ma- there's this magical feeling of, of Mount Etna. The closer you get to it, the it never you never reach it. You know, the, it has that feeling of never actually getting there. And Tagong has the same situation because the grasslands are so massive. You keep walking, keep walking, keep walking. You can turn around and look behind you and see miles of grassland behind you and then that you have gotten no further to the mountain which you've been able to see you know all morning it's been there in front of you the whole time so I, it, just to give people sort of a, a vague idea of the distances on the grasslands um and then there's also a uh a, a nunnery there there's a famous nunnery there and okay. um there's the the T- uh, tibetan tibetan uh, in tibetan yeah tibetan buddhism and and the I think it's actually in Tibetan. It's it's like Lagong or something like that. I can, I'm, I've just murdered the pronunciation because I can't do Tibetan at all. But yeah. you know, you can see how it kind of got tr- sort of like transliterated into Chinese. Yeah. Uh, but the the thing that's kind of famous about this place is the the monastery there as well, and um, it's it's famous in the area because it's got a Buddha called the Shakyamuni Buddha, which if there's anybody listening who knows anything about Tibetan Buddhism. Uh, that actually is the name of the Buddha in Lhasa. So if you go to the mm-hmm. to the palace in Lhasa, the most important Buddha is the Shakyamuni Buddha uh, in the palace there. Um, but the claim is, and it's maybe not a terrible claim, at least because they've it's been around for hundreds of years. The claim there is that the Buddha at uh, Tagong is the original. Uh, what happened was. Um, there was a princess who was who was married off to the 
to a emperor of Tibet or the king of Tibet. Um, he, she was she was a, a Han princess who was married off. This is actually all true. Uh, uh, her name was um, Wencheng, the Wencheng princess. Uh, you you know uh, or you know about the what is it Hechin Hechin princesses mm-hmm. or Hechin marriages? This is how no, the yeah. Han used to try to. This oh, is how like they used the to try to um, marriages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, tribute marriages, right? This is this is how they would try to like you know turn the 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 Mongols or the Xiongnu into you know good hand people by giving them mm-hmm. culture and and hand women. Well, she was one of those. She was she was given a she was given. This is Tang Dynasty times, like the six hundreds. She was given to um, the prince or king of of uh, Tibet, and um, anyway, as part of her retinue. She brought this Buddha with her, this, this the Sakyamuni or Shakyamuni Buddha, and um, the the Buddha is actually there in the temple. And what they claim is the myth is that he thought that um, Tagong was the Buddha himself thought that that Tagong was so beautiful that he refused to go. So mm-hmm. he's his name in Chinese or or Tibetan is something that translates to something like the the Shakyamuni who refused to go, yeah. and so. The claim is that he's the one; he's the real one in the temple there, and that what they have in Lhasa is a, is is a an imposter. Now, or not an imposter, but a copy. Um, now, obviously, that has everything to do with Chinese and Tibetan politics, right? But um, what what's interesting about that is that that is where they have a uh, a school. They have a school there for training monks, young monks, and uh, what. I, what I know that none of them knows, probably, is that that Buddha is also not the original Buddha, because what happened was, during the Cultural Revolution, that Buddha was beheaded and destroyed, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, luckily, one of the monks there took the, took the head, I think stuffed it in some hay, and mm-hmm. hid it away for 15 years until, you know, until things calmed down a little bit, mm-hmm. and they rebuilt the they rebuilt the rest of the Buddha from the head down. Oh, right. And so that's what's, that's what you see if you go there, but you, I wouldn't, I don't think I would go in there and tell, tell you him, know, yeah. some, some young acolyte. I probably would just leave that off, but you know, yeah, it's no, a beautiful it's, place. People should, they, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, it's, it is certainly is a beautiful, beautiful mountain area. The, the only time that I've ever met a celebrity in China was, uh, or I should say like Chinese celebrity. I saw Keanu Reeves at the Beijing airport once, but the, um, I was, I was flying from <laughs> Beijing. I was flying from Beijing to Chengdu in like 2000, January, 2017. And, uh, I was sitting, sitting next to this guy and everybody like, I don't know people start like coming over and like taking pictures and like selfies with him. And like, as you know, in China, people were taking selfies a lot. Um, and so I didn't, it was weird and a little bit obnoxious, but I didn't think that much of it. I was like, okay, this guy just has his friends on the airplane and they're taking pictures with each other. But then like the pilot comes over and like takes a picture with him and I'm like, okay, now this is very unusual. <laughs> so, but I, I wasn't going to bother him. So we were, I, I just like very quietly took a picture slyly took a picture of him and sent a WeChat message to, to friends of mine being like, who, you know, what's going on? Like, is this guy somebody famous? And then I turn off my phone because um, we're about to take off. 
and then I land and there's like all of these messages from friends being like, oh, that's like Wu Ting, who's some like action movie star. He's been in like all of the blockbuster <laughs> movies the last, you know, year. And so, um, so then, so, so then I like talked to him, I said, oh, you know, are you in movies or whatever? And I think he was very appreciative sitting next to somebody who had no idea who the hell he was. Because <laughs> like, I wasn't going to bother him yeah. during this, you know, three hour of flight or whatever. But he was there uh, with his with his mountain climbing equipment. So he just he, he took down and picked up his uh, pretty serious stuff, like um, all of the repelling gear and stuff that, that he had brought. And so he was actually going to Chengdu in order to go into the mountains and to do some mountaineering. So that was that was kind of a funny, funny experience. But, yeah, it's it's a it's a beautiful place. I mean, a lot of people going to China has been more common, but a lot of people, they only go to Beijing and Shanghai, maybe Hong Kong, and, and then that's it. And I, I definitely think that Sichuan should be on the list of, of a pretty, you know, very, very nice place to go and see China in a more, more distinctive way. Thank you for listening. Please visit us at www.thestack.link or find us on Twitter at thestack.link, all one word. And please remember to like and subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes. I'm Josh, and with Andy, we are The Stack. <laughs>